Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Hi everyone, glad you're here. Uh, if you'll remember last week we started off on uh, a book we have never used before, Jim Rosemergy's Even Mystics Have Bills to Pay. And gosh, I kind of dropped a lead balloon on y'all last week. You should have seen your disappointed faces. <laughs> and uh, sadly, I feel like recapping that part, so get, so get ready for some more. So, so <laughs> I know, it's like, what am I thinking? Uh, But I think the most important thing from last week is that God does not respond to the needy. Now, I I would like to say, and in fact I said this last week, wouldn't it be wonderful if somehow uh, God and God's infinite wisdom, if the universe looked out and really matched up folks who really needed things to get by in the world with the stuff that we know is out there. It would be wonderful Maybe. Uh, actually, maybe I need to think through this a little more carefully, but, but on the surface, at least, it looks like if only God worked like Amazon.com, where the things that you need are in a warehouse, and somehow the two just get put together. Well, I want to tell you there is a mechanism for that happening but it isn't being needful. And we talked about that a lot last week, that when we're in that position of, of really wanting someone, feeling desperately lacking something that we need and we want, what tends to happen is that the universe brings us more to wish we had. Not the thing we desire, not the thing uh, or the behaviors that would satisfy that need, but longing brings more longing needfulness tends to bring us more feelings of neediness. And so that was the lead balloon, and I intimated towards the end last week that there are some things that we could do about it, and I want to talk more this week about what we can do about it. And I think the place to start would be the joke. So the cash-strapped church was doing everything it could to save money, Why, after a potluck, the hospitality team was proud to say that they'd save $25 by hand-washing the dirty tablecloths instead of taking them to the dry cleaner. Well, that's wonderful, said the pastor. Just three more potlucks and we'll be back on budget. (laughs) I know, that that one can take a minute to to puzzle it out. Um, But what makes people, or, or churches for that matter, what makes us poor? What, what keeps us in a place of not having enough? Now, now most of the folks here, uh, I'm trusting and, and praying, uh, have a place to live and enough food to eat. And yet, so for so many people, in my experience, we have just enough to get by comfortably. In fact, that almost sounds like something that like my mom said at a Thanksgiving uh, dinner, right? We'll always have just enough to get by comfortably. And I would like to suggest it is expectations and beliefs like that that keep us exactly where we are. And I want to do a reading from Even Mystics Have Bills to Pay here that I think will, will bring this home to us in a lively way. He says, The divine supply is available to everyone always. Earthly riches, however, are not. 
Some countries have vast natural resources. Others are barren. Some people are born into poverty. Others into nobility. We are not born equal, but we are created equal. For we have the capacity to awaken to the presence of God's abundance. Earthly economics say that we can hold supply in our hands and house it in banks and in barns. The divine supply, however, rests perpetually within us as part of our spiritual nature. Through our attention, our expectation, and through our faith, we open ourselves to a consciousness of spirit. I want to read this last bit uh, one more time. It is through our attention, our expectations, and our faith that we open ourselves to a consciousness of spirit and of abundance. I want to talk about these three ideas, this idea of our attention, our expectation, and our faith, because I think that actually is exactly the remediation if you are feeling stuck in your finances. So first of all, let's take on the idea of our attention. So what is it about where we put our attention that causes us maybe to be rich or not? Well, first of all, I bet everyone here is familiar with some form of the 80-20 rule, right? And gosh, it applies to so many different things. But as it applies to our attention, it is that most of us spend 80% of our time, our resources, and our effort on the 20% of our life that doesn't seem good. So 80% of our time, our resources, our money, our, our oomph is going to fix or address the smallest portion of our life that isn't the way we would like it to be. So our attention, if you will, the bulk of it, not all of it certainly, but the bulk of it, of our conscious awareness, so often are on the things that are not the way we would want them to be. It's, it's on the, um, the, the one thing in our job that is so perplexing and so difficult. It's on the, the one thing in our home life where there seems to be disagreement between the members of the household. It's on, it's on the, the child that's not doing well. It's on the, right? Isn't it, isn't it true in your own experience when you think about where you spend a lot of your time? It's to fix, remediate, or improve the things that aren't what you would like them to be. Think about what we believe in science of mind, where we put our attention increases. So if we're putting most of our attention on what isn't going well, if we're putting most of our attention on the things that are upsetting to us and feeling that upset nature and, and, and trying our best struggling, if you will, what can we expect to see more of? We'll see more of the struggle. We'll see other things to lack. We'll see other crises. In fact, I remember a, a, a friend of mine from uh, years ago, one of her mottos was, uh, I always am so good in a crisis. <laughs> she was too, one crisis after another. <laughs> So what I'm suggesting and what I'm even applying to your homework this week is, are you spending 80% of your time on what you don't want to give energy to 
or are you spending 80% of your time? And of course, the percentages are less important than whether you have the sense of, yeah, I'm actually doing mostly what I choose to do in the world. My divine purpose is being fulfilled with most of my time and most of my resources. And whether that divine purpose is directed into a career, whether it's directed into a relationship, whether it's directed into a family, whether your uh, um, you know your mission is to heal the planet or what you know whatever that is, that is where eighty percent of your time and your resources and your uh, your oomph, your your real feeling of being called should be that should be the 80 percent obviously we have to take care of business right there will be the overdue bills that surface now and then there will be the relationships that need fine-tuning there will be the stuff that comes up but oh my gosh that shouldn't take all of our attention we're here we're here to be a blessing and to live the blessing I still remember when I was first a minister, uh, I was so unsure of myself. I wasn't unsure of what I believed to be true about God. Oh my gosh, and of course that's what got me into ministry to begin with, was the, that knowledge truly of my higher power and my connection to it. But the mechanics of being a minister, I was so unsure of myself that I spent all, well not all of my time, but a good deal of my time reacting to the little criticisms and things that I noticed weren't quite what in my dream picture of the world should be. And I actually lost a little bit of sight of, well, wait a minute, no. 80% of my time is working on on consciousness with you all. 80% of my time is really should be in pastoral care and, and uh, uh, designing dynamite classes and helping people to move forward in their spirituality. And of course today, I think I absolutely do those things. But when I was new, no. My attention was on the things that were not going well. And my ministry suffered for it. When we allow ourselves to become derailed from the main event, the main event suffers. Suddenly on the back burner are the things that are really important. The things that, that cause you to wake up in the morning and come alive and, uh, and want to participate in life and, and bring you great joy. And, and, and when those things are subservient to an overdue notice or a visa bill that's crept out of sight. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't spend time on those things, but not the bulk of our time. We take care of business, absolutely. But the bulk of our time is spent on our ministry, on our vocation, on why we think we're here, what causes our hearts to sing. And when we do that, guess what? God will find ways to have your heart continue to sing. It isn't anymore about addressing your needs. It's about having your dream fulfilled. And when we have a clear mission, a clear dream, when we understand the gift that we are to give in any area of our life, it will be funded. God simply funds it. I mean, things will show up. Craziness will happen. You'll be like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Because you were doing your mission, because you were here on purpose, because the bulk of your time is spent in delighting yourself and the universe around your presence. 
So homework again for that particular piece is, where are you spending more of your attention? Is it on the things that aren't working well or the things that you really feel called to do, the things that are working well? And generally the things you're called to do are the things you enjoy. So, so you'll recognize that if you're on track, you're actually enjoying your life. You're feeling participatory. You're feeling connected. And when that happens, you will also be supplied. You will also be supported by that same universe that you are delighting, that same universe that you are such a part of. Okay, next on to expectations. And uh, uh, this might be another... Um, Another low spot, so fair warning. I'm going to read two lists to you, and I want you to notice if there are some things in either of these two lists that seem true for you. One is a positive list. One is a negative list. They're both lists of common expectations that people have of life. And I just want you to listen to each thing consider it, does that resonate with you? And it might be on either list. So first, the list of negative expectations that often we have about life. I expect money to bring trouble. I expect to have to work hard to get ahead. I expect to be treated badly now and then. I expect my finances to become constrained as I grow older. I expect to always have enough to just get by. I expect that from time to time people will cheat me. Now the list of more positive expectations. I expect to be prosperous. I expect my life to go well. I expect my life to be filled with delight. I expect to be supported as I support others. I expect God's blessing in what I do and who I am. Now, if you are like most people, you found some things in both lists that are true. Very few people would just go, oh yeah, yeah, it's just the positive list. I don't have any of those negative expectations. I mean, if you're one of those people, I want to see you later because you have a secret that I haven't quite gotten yet. But do you see how if those are a mix of our expectations, that our experience of abundance in the universe is also going to be pretty mixed, right? We can't necessarily at the same time expect that my life is going to be a blessing and also believe that as I grow older, my finances will dwindle or become rigid. We can't at the same time believe that God is always here to support me through thick and thin and at the same time believe uh, that people might now and then cheat me. Do you see? It's one of those uh, cognitive dissonance kind of things that the brain theory people warn us about. When we have conflicting beliefs in our head, that is what God is responding to. And that's why for so many of us, we go through periods of financial stability and then financial trouble. Why we almost have a nervous reaction to money. It's like, ooh, it's like I need it, but uh, it's complicated and I'm not really very good at investing. And, you know, and some of us have family histories of craziness. I remember my first memory of thinking about money at all uh, 
did did your families ever like the parents would argue when the kids were in bed? Did that was that ever going on? Well, one night I wanted to see what the, what, why the parents had sent me off to bed so early. So I crept down the stairs and looking down the banister. And of course, what are they fighting about? They're fighting about money. And so my first experience of really understanding money is, oh, this is something you got to watch out for. Not entirely sure what this is, but I don't think I want it. <laughs> right? How many of us have chalked up early childhood experiences around lack and money to our expectations? And I really do still remember, I'm pretty sure it was a Thanksgiving when we had invited uh, some extra people over for Thanksgiving. And I couldn't have been more than five or six. And I still remember my mom saying, well, we don't have much, but we'll always have enough to get by. What an expectation that is, right? We'll always have enough to get by. If that's your expectation, you will always have enough to just get by. So how do we begin changing our expectations? Well, this one is tricky. First of all, you have to know what they are. And so my recommendation, if you want to do some homework around that one, is journaling. Just ask yourself the very simple question, what do I expect life to bring me? And just write down as many things as you can. Just write down pages and pages of what you expect life to bring you. And some of them will be around finances. Some of them will be around relationships. Some of them will be around all kinds of different things. Everything from careers to, uh, I don't know, family issues. It'll all be there. All of your expectations. And then I want you to look through them and say, is this the best I can do? Is this true? Does this have to be true for me? Or could my expectation be a little higher than that? Could I expect most of my days to go well? <laughs> right? Could I expect a, a greater sense of being blessed by the presence of my family or my children or whatever it is? Places where perhaps you'd set the bar kind of low based on your experiences of the past, based on your understanding of your family history, uh, based on all of those different things that created those expectations, I would have you look at them, and especially the negative ones, especially the ones that would seem to limit, you know, I'm on a fixed income, so I can't expect too much, right? It's, it's like some of those expectations, I want you to challenge them. I want you to have a good argument with yourself, right? I want you literally to talk yourself down off of that ledge of just getting by and to begin enjoying more, uh, more like what you deserve, more like what your birthright as an abundant, conscious person is. Okay, that's expectations. Last but not least, uh, uh, Rosemary talked about faith. And for me, faith has two elements. First of all, faith has to do with my belief in God or the divine or um, uh, whatever you want to think of your higher power. I have to know that God itself is abundant and wants to share. And, and if I don't have those two pieces... Uh, then the rest of this isn't going to work so well. I have to recognize that anything I could ever choose to experience in this universe already exists in the universe. In the mind of God, everything is possible. 
And I do that simply by saying that's the definition of God. Now, this is cheating a little bit. I, I realize I'm asking you to start with faith by already having some faith in something. And, and I know that's tough, but I don't know how you get this one other than just simply defining the universe that way. So I define the universe, I define God as limitless. And, and, and of course, most uh, astronomers will tell you that's close to being true. And if you account for the multiverse and not just the universe, then, then I think we can get there to say that the universe or God, and I'm using that as my definition, is infinite. All the good I could want is out there. All the love that exists is all out there. Anything that would really be my heart's desire exists in the mind and in the body of, of God, of the universe. And then the only other piece that I have to take, I think just on faith, is that it's benevolent. That somehow the universe isn't out to get me, but rather the universe is out to help me. That this is actually a friendly universe. And again, I, I don't know how I can train you or give you advice around that one other than to say, give it a try in your own personal cosmology. Give it a try, the idea that the universe is a safe and good place to be. Try it out. You know, it's one of the things I actually love about science of mind. Uh, from my very beginnings in the science of mind, I took classes and I was so intrigued by the notion that Ernest Holmes, the founder of science of mind, said, well, try it. Try these affirmative prayers. Try a little meditation and see how it works. Try it. There's no harm in trying it. And so I would do the same for you on this particular case. Try out the idea of your own personal belief system. I'm going to go with the idea that God is infinite and God is also giving. That there is a part of, of God that wishes to give to itself all that it needs and wants. Now see, here we're back to the definition again. It isn't some distant God singling distant Larry out saying, I will give to Larry because I'm part of God. If God is everything, that includes to me. So why wouldn't God give to itself the riches of the universe, right? It's really God acting through me and on my behalf, but also on the larger behalf that the universe should be a blessing. God, when God blesses any one of us, God is blessing itself, blessing the universe because we're not separate from it. Okay, so that's the, that's the key to belief on that element. The other part, though, is to believe in God and our affairs. And this one is a little bit tougher, I think, because a lot of us view ourselves as maybe not worth God's effort. For a lot of us, we look around the world and we see people in such dire trouble that we think, who am I to ask God for a new car or a raise at work or my daughter's success in college? Who am I to do a prayer about uh, having the tires on the car or the everyday pieces of life I'm just not worth that much of God's attention, right? God's a, a busy creator. <laughs> 
But I'm here to tell you, God is no respecter of persons. As you'll remember last week, we talked, God isn't out there satisfying needs. God is responding to our beliefs and our thoughts. And, and God is going to do that whether we're consciously trying to do it, whether we're sitting down and writing a prayer about it or not. So there is absolutely no reason for the largest things that would make a difference in your life or the smallest things that would make a difference in your life. Why wouldn't you pray about it? Why wouldn't you hold it in your heart and in your mind as something that's true for you, a new expectation, if you will, a new belief that you can be prospered in some, uh, some different way around love or joy or peace or happiness, right? So I want to use an, uh, an example here. Um, there have only been a couple times, so I have been blessed in my life uh, in terms of financial security, but there have been a couple times in my life uh, when it didn't feel that way. And I remember the house I bought before the house Daniel and I are in right now. I bought it by myself, and I wanted to try out living in an, in an old historic home. And so in Northeast Portland, I bought uh, uh, actually a local and somewhat famous architect had designed it and had it built uh, for his family in, in 1910. And it was a, a lovely old craftsman home with all the fancy woodwork and, you know, chair rails. And, oh, my gosh, it was beautiful. It had the original leaded windows in it. And, uh, and uh, the, uh, and well, okay, so I have to tell the truth. I got oversold. The realtor did a wonderful job of portraying how beautiful this house was. And, of course, I go home and, uh, you know, I work for the telephone company and I'm used to spreadsheets. And so I lay my life out in spreadsheets. You know, here's what I earn and, and here's, you know, what the new mortgage would be and that kind. And, and here's what I usually spend on food and here's this and here's this here's this. And I go, oh, I can do it. I can exactly do it. So I bought the house, and then I started noticing that my spreadsheet had a few things missing from it. <laughs> it's like, well, what happens if the boiler, the 70-year-old uh, boiler on your, old, on your brand new house gives up the ghost, you know? Well, there's $1,000. And, uh, and what happens if, uh, if your sweet dog has to have an operation that costs $800? And, and, what ha and so it was pretty quickly I realized, oh my gosh, this spreadsheet is like a nightmare. <laughs> One cannot live by spreadsheet alone. I mean, I, had, I probably had 5000 on a credit card, and I had never, never not been able to pay a, all my credit cards off by the end of the month. They were there for convenience, not because I needed to put money on them. Oh my gosh. I felt kind of desperate around money. And I was planning a, a sort of a party. And, uh, and uh, well, the little housewarming thing went lovely and whatnot. And I'm uh, getting ready to put dishes in the dishwasher. And the dishwasher doesn't work. So this is now a brand new kitchen in this old house. 
all imported, beautiful, top-of-the-line appliances. I mean, the kitchen was stunning. And so I call, of course, the repair guy. And the, the, he was very funny, very sweet, very nice. Oh, you got one of them there Swedish dishwashers. <laughs> Those are nice, aren't they? And I'm like, uh, okay. He's like, when they work. <laughs> And so, uh, but he actually was pretty sweet. He told me different problem-solving things. He says, well, it sounds like maybe one of the sensors is out. It sounds like the dishwasher thinks it's always full of water. And you can try doing this, and you can try doing that. And, oh, you don't want to do that. That'll, that'll break a seal, and, but try this. And, and I don't know about you, but I just started feeling more anxious. Like, this wasn't really helpful because nothing was working and I, 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 so finally I just said, okay, all right, I've tried a bunch of things. It's not working. Uh, can you have someone come out? Well, of course we can, but there's only one feller in this city that works on them washing machines, dishwashers, uh, and that, uh, the service call would be $180. And I'm like, well, okay. It's like, what are you going to do? It's going to go on the Visa card. And he said, oh, and by the way, if it is a sensor, it's on a little circuit board, and that costs twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> so I just uh, I thanked him for his time and hung up the door, hung up the phone, and said, "Well, there was a time when I washed dishes by hand." But, but still, I could tell in my own heart uh, there was something I needed to do about this. And, of course, I was in science of mind then. And I don't know why I thought of it, because I'd never really thought about praying for things like that before. But I just sat down and prayed about the dishwasher. And uh, knowing that it's the combination of the prayer plus our emotional makeup I knew right from the get-go, I had to get a different emotional uh, uh, input here because I was feeling like lack. I was feeling desperate. And I knew that's not how you pray. That just brings more desperation. So instead, I'm sitting there, I, I swear to you, I'm sitting there on the floor in front of the dishwasher visualizing in my mind's eye the wonderful parties I'm going to have in that house. I'm visualizing in my mind's eye that everything is taken care of. I'm visualizing a load after load of dishes going through that dishwasher without a hint and everything coming out dry and clean and perfect. And I'm visualizing the fun of my new house. And finally, I'm like, okay, all right. That's the right mental attitude to have, seeing this really as a show place, seeing this as a, a place of great opportunity for myself and my friends and even the church. Uh, and then I did my prayer. And the prayer felt pretty good. And I just leaned back in satisfaction. The door clicked and the dishwasher started up. <laughs> But guess what? Guess what? In my humanness, I didn't even put the prayer and the dishwasher working together. I said to myself, I guess it wasn't broken after all. <laughs> right? Isn't that a much more human, rational, thinker's way of thinking? 
And it wasn't until I went back to my foundations class later in the week, um, uh, the, the minister at the time was saying, all right, so did you have any demonstrations this week? We taught you all how to do the science of mind prayer. And Are there any demonstrations? And a couple people talked about things, and I'm thinking, no, no, nothing happened to me. And, and she said, well, didn't you do any prayers? And I said, well, only the one about the dish. Whoa. Oh, holy heavens. And that was the day, that was the day that I started recording my demonstrations. And when you begin recording your answered prayer, that is how you build faith at God at work in your own life. Not just God as a benevolent, rich kind of picture in the sky, but God actually at work in your life. So from now on, uh, and, and I have it in a little journal that I use, but, but whether you do it in a journal, whether you maybe do notes on your smartphone, or whether you uh, maybe at the end of every evening, just think about how has your prayer been answered for the day. That is how you will build your faith. Because I bet nearly every day you have some kind of answered prayer. Now, you may not sit down and do a full five-step treatment, you know, the science of my prayers that we taught uh, last month, that doesn't matter. Anytime you have a positive view of an outcome in your life and you consciously set your intentions on that being your experience of the world, that is a prayer right there. And so simply to grow our faith, we need to grow our experience of God at work in our lives. All right, so let us uh, simply do a quick review, a quick summary of what we've talked about today. Well, we, we covered last week's God does not respond to our needs. The needy are not rewarded. I wish it weren't so, but the needy are not rewarded except with more need. So instead, our level of prosperity is based on our attentions, where we put our attention it's based on our expectations. What do I think is true? What do I believe the universe is most likely to give me? And our beliefs. Do I believe that God actually is at work in my life? And these are all things that you can actively change how you approach things and have a better outcome. We can learn to put most of our attention on our mission and what's going right. We can learn to expect on average, better outcomes than we expected before. And our faith simply is built over time by recognizing God in our affairs, by noticing that we have set a positive intention, that we have prayed about it or contemplated or written it into a journal, and that there has been a positive outcome from that. That's how we build our faith. So I'm going to close today with reading a week... Uh, or excuse me, day eight from our um, Guide to Prosperous Living. I know some of you started last week with me, and so uh, this uh, week later is day eight. A consciousness of God cannot be limited. Money cannot buy everything. If an automobile costs 20000 and my credit will only allow a purchase of 15000 I cannot drive away with the more expensive car. If I want to buy a $20 meal, but I only have $5 in my pocket, I'd better head for the fast food restaurant. Money has its limitations, but a consciousness of God cannot be limited. 
It will take whatever shape is necessary. World economic conditions impact the financial markets of many countries and influence interest rates that determine mortgage payments for new homes. A consciousness of God, however, is untouched by economic conditions. This is why people prosper in the most adverse times. I'm going to read this one again because you know this is true. This is why people prosper in the most adverse times. I'm beginning to see the wisdom of God's plan and how a consciousness of the source is better than money, credit, land, and precious metals. Continue to work with this idea today by holding to this thought. A conscious connection of God is untouched by world economic conditions. When I am consciously one with spirit, I am untouched by the world. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There's only this one thing, and it is infinite, and it is benevolent. And I know that means me. I know that I'm right in the middle of it, willing and able and receiving God's blessing always. And as it is true for me, I know it is true, or it can be true for everyone on this planet. Everyone on this planet can open their hearts and their minds to receive more of God's bounty. It is not a limitation on the part of God, believe me. God is an infinite supply, always attentive. It's the very definition of spirit itself. It is simply up to us to reach out. It is simply us to... Uh, to move our expectations a little higher. It is simply up to us to have greater faith in God working in my day-to-day -day affairs. It is simply up to us to put my attention on the blessings of life, to put my attention on what is working right rather than on the lack of negativity. This is how it works. This is what Nancy referred to in her opening prayer as the law of good. And I know that this law of good is working for me and it can work for everyone on the planet. And so for this, I give great thanks. I recognize that there is good for each of us and we shall have it. I release this prayer into the activity of the law itself. I let it be and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.